Amen. 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 I, I am so grateful. Thank you guys. I want you to take your Bibles if you've got them. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five. Let's see if anything's changed in there since last time. Okay. While you're turning for all my knuckle, knuckle dragon Neanderthal buddies out there, boys, this is what they call Valentine's day today. Are you with me? It's, you got that look about your face. It's okay. I was by Sheets has got them cheap roses. Dollar General's got good cards this year. Swing by on the way. You'll, you'll be all right. At Valentine's Day, it was created by Hallmark Cards a few years ago. As a chance to pick a man's pocket once a year, but that's all right. She's worth it, boys. You be nice to her today. All righty. Can I get a female amen? All righty. We're good there. I can't tell you how many times through the years people have said to me, in all sincerity, very honest people have said to me, preacher, this Christianity stuff, I, I can see it works for you, but it just don't work for me. I tried this stuff. It just don't work for me. I've been told that no few times, that it just don't work for me. And I'm wondering to myself, what can this even mean that this Christianity stuff don't work? That don't even make sense to me but I understand why they say it. How many people, how many sincere Christians, how many people in their own private minds have thought this and never said it? It seems to work for them. But something ain't working for me. What well, we're going to talk about today when this stuff don't work. And uh, we're going to look in the Bible at a picture. Jesus paints pictures. You understand the Bible is a picture book. Has to be for men like me. The Bible is a picture book. And all through the Bible, Jesus is painting pictures. What's he doing? He's trying to help us understand. Now, let me time out, time out. I may even know what a preacher is. That's somebody who takes things and makes them so complicated, nobody can figure out what the heck he's talking about. That's a preacher. Jesus Christ takes the great, deep secrets of the universe and makes them so simple a child can understand them. That's the Bible. And all through the Bible, Jesus is painting pictures. He paints pictures. What's he painting all these pictures? I'm talking about word pictures, sometimes called parables. What, what's he doing? He's trying to help you and I understand things. He's trying to communicate to us so he can teach us about himself, us, life, our lives together. That's why he said, uh, uh, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. They were a shepherding people. They understood that. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Uh, his rod and staff comfort me. They understood that. He was painting a picture that what, what you see that shepherd being to those sheep, that's, that's me to you. He said, uh, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. They understood that. There were vineyards all around those folks. They understood that. You know, you get cut off from the vine, you gone, sucker. Oh, he didn't put sucker in there, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> He's always painting pictures through the Bible. All right, he paints the great, there's the greatest picture ever written in the Bible is in Ephesians 5. You'll never find a greater picture. If you were to say to me, I'm from uh, Botswana. I never heard of this Christianity stuff. We practice animism where I'm from. What, what's this Christianity stuff? I saw it. I would say Ephesians chapter 5 is the greatest picture of what Christianity is or Jesus to me and you is. Now, is anybody familiar with this passage in Ephesians 5? It begins in verse 22. Don't you just, here's this passage. This is a passage in the Bible, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Is anybody familiar with this passage? Some men, you Neanderthals are, some of you, your favorite verse in the Bible is in here, isn't it? 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Some of y'all, that's your favorite verse in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's the only one you ever memorized. This is that passage that talks about wives, submit to your husbands, husbands to love your wives, yada, yada. How many of you ever are familiar with this passage? We call it the, how many of you think this passage is about marriage? Not even close. This passage is not, listen to me, this passage is not about marriage. Okay, you're looking at me funny. This is not about marriage. Read this verse with me. Read verse 32. He's talking about the passage of 22 to 33. Verse 32 says this. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. You see, I thought it was about marriage. It's not about marriage. What's it about? This is the passage that talks about your relationship to Jesus. And there is no passage in the Bible that will give you a better picture of who Jesus is to you than this passage. If you don't understand this passage, you don't understand who Jesus is. You, it'll, it'll, listen to me, it'll never be right till you get this passage. Till you see this picture and begin to live out of this picture and this understanding, this Jesus Christianity will make no sense to you. It, it won't work for you. It's the greatest picture in the Bible. Now I want you to look at verse, that verse again, verse 32, and the, the, tell me this. What does great mystery mean? Sound like deep stuff, doesn't it? Mystery is the Greek word, hidden truth. It simply means it's hidden, but God's fixing to show it to you. And this is where God Almighty reveals to you a hidden great truth, a great mystery about your relationship to Jesus. This passage right here stands religion on its head. Now I fell in love with Jesus. I met the real Jesus when I was a young man, but I got caught up in religion and it was miserable. This is the type passage that gets you out of religious and gets you into a joyous relationship and makes life wonderful. And we want to look at this this morning. It's very simple. It only has one point to it. And one very simple passage in Ephesians 3, 22. Let's look at it. We're going to look at this passage today. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Just pause right there. How many of you that sounds like it's got something to do with marriage? Be honest. How many of it sounds like marriage? It ain't about marriage. Uh, do we need to go back and read verse 32 again? I'm talking about Christ and the church. It has nothing to do with marriage. Now, some of you women should go, hallelujah. <laughs> different subject for a different day. Verse 30, 23, as the husband is head of the wife, you don't, don't, don't get mad, girls. This is not about marriage. As the husband is head of the wife, Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Relax, girls. This is about Jesus. Okay, okay, I, I know. Write me a letter. I'll answer you. As the church is subject to Christ, what's the last two words? In everything. Jesus is not something I do on Sundays. Jesus is in my fishing. Do I not subject my fishing to Jesus? Didn't that work what everything means? Jesus is in my employment. Jesus is in everything, dear ones. He's not some guy we stick in the church and swing by and check on. Jesus is in my romance life. Laugh. I'm telling you at 63, it don't get older, it gets better, Doc. You kids don't know nothing. You said, that's, that's nasty to talk about Jesus and romance. Who do you think invented it? Where think you, I should have got a melee man out of that. Where think you it came from? Do you think 
the Almighty looked at Gabriel one day and said, where'd they find that from? What do you think? He created, listen to Colossians 1.27, he created everything there is for himself. Jesus is in everything. All right, here we go. Read a little further. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Tell me, now did you see that word church in there? Get rid of it. When you think of the word, if you're an American, when you think of church, what do you think of? Hit a church, hit a steeple, open it up. Dead of people, right? <laughs> if you think church has anything to do with a building, an organization, a denomination, you don't know the Bible. Church has nothing to do with Baptist, Methodist, organizations, buildings, steeples on them. The greatest churches in the world right now have no buildings. They're meeting under trees in Africa. They're meeting in basements in Iran. They have no buildings. They have no organization. They're the greatest churches in the world. Some of the greatest religious organizations with the greatest steeples and towers have no Jesus. That's not the issue. Dumas Church is a chosen group of people. Church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. It is a set group of people. That's all the church is. Now, it, it can be in an organization to band together to do things, but it is a group of people. Are you with me? If you was to go into the restaurant one night, me and my sweetheart sitting there, who's my wife, sitting there, and uh, I said to you, I said, well, this is, this is my building. You'd look at me like I'd lost my mind. She's not my building. That's my wife. A building is no more the bride of Christ than an outbuilding is my wife. You understand this? The church is a group of people. All right, tell me in that verse, verse 25, husbands love your wives like Christ loved a group of people and gave himself for her. You tell me the two things Jesus does to the church. He loves her. He loves her passionately. Tell me what else he has done for her. What does it mean he gave himself for her? He sacrificed himself on a cross. Tell me why he did that. Did Jesus die on the cross to get rid of his sins? He had none. Did Jesus die on the cross so he could go to heaven? He came from heaven. He owns heaven. Tell me why Jesus died on the cross. To bring me to himself. You understand the Bible said that Jesus purchased me at the cross. He bought me with his own blood at the cross. That's why I belong to him. Jesus bought me at the cross. Y'all knew everything so far. Now, all right. We're fixing to go into the, the thing here. Dear ones, why'd he do that for me? Why would the Almighty step down, take a human body, let it be brutalized, hung on a cross for somebody like me? Why did he do that? So I could start going to church and quit smiling and quit listening to rock music and behave? You really? Really? That's nuts. He did all that for a purpose. What is the one reason Jesus brought me to himself? It's in one verse, and this is the verse we want to look at today. Verse 26. Verse 25 says, He loved me. He died for me. Verse 26. What's the first word in verse 26? That. Anytime you see the word that as the first word in a sentence, you got to look back up and find out what that is there for. He's fixing to tell you the reason that He drew you to Himself. Why did Jesus call me? Why did He save me? Why did He bring me to Himself? What is God doing in my life? That. Watch this. Verse 26. He might, here's the answer, sanctify me. I knew you'd get excited about that. The Bible says he died for me and drew me so he could sanctify me. 
How many of you are excited about being sanctified? Now, you don't even know what it means. I mean, is that not one of the awfulest words you ever heard? How many of us got religious demons hanging all over it? Not because there's something wrong with the Bible, because what we've done with it. You know what sanctify is to me? When I was a teenage boy, I dated this girl that drug me to the church. It was one of them Pentecostal churches. They hung, you know, swung from the chandeliers and all that. And there was old ladies in black dresses with the hair up and buns strutting around talking funny ones. Sanctified, sanctified. And I thought, Does, I hope it, is it communicable? It's one of the weirdest words I ever heard. How many of you want to be sanctified? I don't. God's good. There's got to be something more to it than some weird religious word. If you want to, above the word sanctified, just write, make beautiful. It, literally, it is the Greek word set apart, but our word would, best word today would be to make beautiful. Why did Jesus call me? That man loved me, died for me, that he might make me beautiful. I've never heard this in my life. Aren't you glad you came today? This is the premier passage in the Bible about my relationship with Jesus. Why did he call me? Why did he save me? Why does he want me to open this word? What is God doing in my life? Dear ones, he is trying to make you beautiful. That's all he's doing. That's what sanctify means. Just it literally means uh, the other word for it is to bring back to perfection. To complete, make perfect. That's, that's the whole nine yards is what he's trying to do. You say, now, all right, all right, explain to me, Brother Brian, why do I need to be perfected is there something wrong with me yes there's something wrong with all of us I may have agree there's something wrong with all of us let me tell you why I needed to be fixed let me tell you why I needed to be fixed I was broke can I get a witness I mean the Bible says we're all broke all right let me show you what sanctified is turn back with me to Romans chapter 3 a lot of times when people start talking to people about who Jesus is this is the first verse they turn to Romans 3 You'll understand this verse. Jesus will never make sense to you till you understand one verse, and it's Romans three, in Romans 3. How many of you would agree with this part of Romans chapter 3? Uh, Romans 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23 says this. All have sinned. Everybody agree? How many? Everybody in here? So far, so good. All right, now let me ask you. Here's the big question. We all knew that. So question, what's wrong with sin? Well, Brother Brian, it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I know it's wrong. What's wrong with it? What's the big deal? What's wrong with sin? He said, well, it's nasty. No, it's not. Not all of it. He said, well, it makes God mad. No, it don't. What is wrong with sin from heaven's perspective? The answer is in the rest of the verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what's wrong with sin? It cost me the glory of God. Sin cost me the glory of God. All right. Question. How many of you believe I was created by God? They know the answers I've told them. <laughs> How many of you think you were created by God? Follow me. How many of you think God Almighty created you to be insecure, fearful, self-centered, greedy, lustful, broken. I could go on and on. Everything that we're suffering from today. How many of you think God created us to be like this? Come on. You know better than that. Go back to the first chapter of Genesis. You'll find out why he created us. He did not create us to live in a broken state. 
he created us, his original design was that we would live in a glorious state. That we would be just like Jesus. That we would be free, secure, confident, compassionate, peaceful, joyful, serving people. He created us to look just like Jesus. That was the glorious condition we were supposed to live in. So what happened? Sin. Sin came in the world. All have sinned. And what happened? Look, watch my hand. We came way down from the glorious place we were supposed to be, or we came short of the glory of God. What's wrong with sin? It robs me of the life he created me to live. It robs me of the person he created me to be. All right, so I'm in, I'm in sin. I'm in a, what's called a fallen state because I've fallen from the high place he created me to be. So along comes Jesus and his great love. How many of you know me being screwed up can't stop him from loving me? Amen. So he comes to this earth. He dies on a cross for me, not just to get me into heaven, but to do what? That he might sanctify me. Let me help you understand what sanctify is right here. He's going to take me right back to what God created me to be. Sanctify means to be brought back to what God originally meant for you to be. Out of our failures, anger, striving, emptiness, yada, 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 you name it. Back to the life of love, joy, peace, wonderful grace, excitement that he created us to live. Got it? That's what sanctifying is. Turn back to Ephesians 5. All sinned. We miss God's best just by being in fallen humanity. But Jesus came that he might sanctify me and make me beautiful. All right? So that's what he's going to do. Can you see clearly? Let's read verse 26 again, 25. He died for me. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse me. All right, you got it? I want you to see three words in that verse. One is sanctify, cleanse, sanctify. He wants to bring me back to where I used to be. You know what Christianity is? It's when you surrender everything you got to Jesus so he can take you back to what you were supposed to be to start with. It's not a bunch of rules and going to church. And Second word I want you to see in there is the word in verse 26. See if you see this word, the word he. You see the word he in there? That he might sanctify me. Look right here. Who does the sanctifying, me or Jesus? Read it. Does it say that I might grunt and groan and try to sanctify myself and straighten my life up and do better and quit smoking and cussing? I'm not anywhere in there except to be fixed. Who does the changing in a person's life? He. This, listen to me. <clears throat> this stands religion on its ear because all religion is basic. Basically, it just boils down to behavior modification through self-effort and condemnation by education. Then as the gospel is, follow me, I will do something in you. That's the gospel. Can you see clearly that only Jesus can make the change in people's lives? There's one of two ways to become a whatever you want to call it. You can read a book, get a bunch of rules and try to live a better life. Or you can walk with Jesus and his spirit inside of you will do a wonderful work and it's all him. One of two ways to do it. And this is the clear, clear teaching. Now you say, okay, this is a whole lot better than me trying to do better because Brother Brian, quite frankly, it ain't working for me. Oh, I got some of you think it's working for you. It ain't working for you neither if you're doing it. Word number three, how's he going to do it? With. What is it that Jesus is going to use in my life to change me from the fearful, wounded, 
broken, defensive. God, he impressed people. What does he use to change me back to the way God meant me to be? What does he use? He talks to me. The only way Jesus changes people's lives is to talk to them. Let's read verse 26. That he might sanctify me and cleanse me. By what? What does he use? The washing of the water by his word. God changes my life by talking to me. He speaks to me. Now, dear ones, listen to me. The only reason Christianity doesn't work is because we're not hearing God speak to us. We don't hear Jesus speak. The only way it works is to hear him speak. Let's settle something right now that people are still discussing. I'm not discussing it, but I want to help you with it. Do you believe God still speaks to people today? It's really super duper spiritual people or just anybody. If you miss this, you can't live it. If you miss this, you miss the whole deal. Everything rises and falls on, does he speak today or not? I'm not going to stand here and try to convince you of it. I will quote a couple. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Y'all ready to go deep? How can you follow the man if you can't hear him? I'm going to say, you say, well, I don't hear him. No, 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 no. You, you didn't listen to God right there, dear ones. Pay attention. My sheep hear my voice. You may not recognize it, but you hear it. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. It's the only way you can do it. Uh, let me quote one to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. If any man has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. God's talking today. He wants to speak to you today. And you, you can hear him today. Can you see from verse 26? What's the only way my life can be changed? It can't be changed by reading a book and trying to do better. Not much. It can't be changed by biting your tongue. I mean, I've heard people say, I better bite my tongue. You just have a sore tongue. <laughs> How am I changed? By his word, by him speaking to me. This is the different, this is what makes all of life difference. Uh, now listen to what I'm fixing to say. Dear ones, when God speaks, you can learn some things. See this book right here. This was God speaking yesterday. And in this book are the answers to life, where we came from, where we're going, how to get there. The answers to how to be married are in this book. The answers to how to raise children are in this book. How to make money legally is in this book. The answers to life are in this book. But this book is not God speaking. This is book is where God spoke years ago. That's why it's called the Logos, the spoken word of God from a long time ago. Dear ones, when God, you can, you can learn, let me make an announcement. You can learn from the Bible. I don't understand yet what's wrong with the Ten Commandments. Seem like a, can't post the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. Seem like where you go get in trouble for killing and stealing, you ought to put up signs that you shouldn't have done this. <laughs> Far be it from me. You can learn from the Bible, but listen to me, listen to me. When God speaks, it doesn't just impart knowledge. When God speaks, it changes the human heart. When God speaks, something happens inside of a person. I want you to listen uh, to what Jesus said about that. He said, my words, when I speak, they are spirit and they are life. I don't just impart knowledge. Something happens to you when I speak. I mean, I know that people need healing today and I'm not talking about physical healing. People's hearts need healing. Their screwed up lives need healing. Homes need healing. Guess where healing comes from? My son. Listen to my word. It's life to those who find it and healing to every part of their lives. 
You know how you get fixed? God talks to you. You hear him speak. Let me give you an example. Uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me quote to you. There's a passage in the Bible that talks about when God speaks. It's Psalm 29, I'll just quote it. And it says this, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. It snaps those mighty cedars of Lebanon. Do you think God's walking around breaking trees in the forest? What's that mean, breaks the cedars of Lebanon? What's that talking about? You know it's not trees. Hard human hearts are broken when God speaks to them. Let me give you the, probably the worst example I ever saw. There was a man in Alabama. Uh, made him years, years, saw him years ago. He was the, what they call a dragon, maybe the grand dragon, what they call the Ku Klux Klan. He was the leader of the Ku Klux Klan. He would, if ever I met a man that was demonized, you could look in his eyes, you saw such hatred. You saw Satan in that man's eyes. He was cold-hearted, mean, hated. He hated everybody. You could tell he hated himself too. And he hated black people. And a buddy of his tricked him into going into a little country revival service. He didn't know what he was getting into. And when he got in there, he was mad. Because <laughs> he didn't believe in God and he didn't like him either. And he sat in there and the little country preacher just stood up there and preached some of the silliest junk. And all of a sudden, something began to happen. And it wasn't long before he was on his knees over an old-fashioned altar weeping. Last time I saw him, the last time I saw him, he was sitting in a metal folding chair in an Alabama prison with five young black men sitting around him. They all had open Bibles. He was teaching them the Bible. Tears running down his face, telling them boys how much he cared about them, how he'd do anything in the world to help them. That's not education. The voice of God broke that man's heart's heart. The voice of God spoke to him and changed his life. Dear ones, Nothing is more important than letting God speak to your heart. Because when God speaks to the human heart, he doesn't just impart knowledge, something happens in here. That's why it says the voice of the Lord is powerful. Also in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful. It says he stirs up the flames of fire and makes the calf skip. Remember, he ain't trying to break your cows out. What does it mean the voice of God stirs up the flames of fire and makes the calf skip? When God speaks to your heart, it brings the excitement and the passion back to life. It brings joy back into the human heart. Do you believe human hearts in this nation could use some enthusiasm and some excitement, some passion again? Go down to Walmart and stand there and watch for a while. When God speaks, things change on the inside. And guess what happens if you change the human heart? then things change on the outside. Because as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, dear ones, let God speak to your heart, your life will be changed for the better. You can try all you want to, or you can let God speak to your heart. How does Jesus make me beautiful again? By his word, by speaking to me, by letting me hear what he's got to say. Dear ones, Ephesians 5 is God's entire plan. Follow me, let me speak to your heart. I'll bring you right back to where you was meant to be to start with. That's it. That's the entire, entire plan. Now, let me throw this in. I said this to start with. Let me throw this in. Why does this stuff not work for some people? Because religion fails. Jesus said it would. Listen to what Jesus said. The flesh, John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing. In other words, flesh won't do you a bit of good. You know what flesh is? Human effort. Human effort's useless. 
I can hand you a Bible and say, here's the rules. You don't cuss, don't smoke, don't steal, don't yada, yada, give to you. Now learn these, learn these. Boy, you understand me? Learn these, you're going to be in trouble. Learn these. And you can learn all that. It won't help you a bit. You might be real disciplined, do okay. At best, it might keep you from getting in trouble, but it ain't going to make your life wonderful. You say, are you denigrating the Bible? I live in this thing day and night. But then was the Bible that's not enough. The Bible's not enough. You've got to have the Spirit of God speaking through the Bible. You've got to have the living voice of God. Listen to me. Man does not live by bread alone. Jesus said this in Luke 4, 4. Man does not live by bread alone. Can I get a witness? It takes more than food to have a great life. Man does not live by bread alone. Let me tell you how we misquoted that verse. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That is not what it says. This proceeded out of the mouth of God years ago through men. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceedeth today from the mouth of God. You got to hear him speak to you today. It's got to be fresh. I'm having you know 2,000 year old bread ain't going to cut it. It's got to be hot today. It's got to be fresh today. You got to let him speak to you today. Now, let me tell you why religion doesn't work. Trying won't change a thing. Hearing changes everything. I'll give you an example of the power of God to change a man's life. There was a guy in the Bible and he was, his guts were the most hated guts in his community. You understand what I'm saying? He was despised like no man was despised. Even good Jewish people would have cut his throat if they could have got away with it. He's what they call a tax collector. When the Romans invaded Jew, Israel, uh, Jerusalem, they forced them to pay a tax back to Rome. And uh, believe it or not, there were some of their own people who said, I'll, be, I'll collect the taxes for you if you'll give me a soldier to protect me. They were allowed to collect the taxes to go to Rome and, and they could take any extra they want. There wasn't a thing you could do about it. Most, all right, Russia invades America and takes us over. I'm wondering who's invaded this land. Takes us over and they charge every person a 15% tax to go back to Russia to make them rich. Everybody's got to pay it. And your neighbor signs up to collect that tax for the Russians. And he's got Russian soldiers with him to come collect the tax. And he can take all he wants from you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. Because them oozes will make you pay. Would you hate him? That's Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government. They hated his guts. Everybody did. One day Jesus is walking by the tax office. Jesus turns and walks in that man's office. Secretary said, can I help you? Walk straight by her. Walks into Matthew's office and Matthew was a hateful something or other. Evil man. He looked up, he said, you're that crazy preacher that's got that bus on the edge of town, aren't you? <laughs> Jesus looked at him, he said, follow me. Turned around and walked out. After a moment, Matthew got up, walked out the door. His secretary said, where are you going? He didn't say a word. He never remembered he had a business. He followed Jesus the rest of his life, died with him, and wrote the book of Matthew in the Bible. How's a life changed like that? Not trying, listening. He heard God speak to his heart. Then was God speaks to the human heart and it changes things. If you don't hear him speak to your heart, you own your own, Bubba. Good luck. Can I give you one more? Of course I can. You just want me to. 
just show you the power of the voice of God in today. That was yesterday. I'm going to give it to you today. A friend of mine, we became dear, dear friends. He was an evangelist. I was a pastor. He began to come to my church some, and we partnered up. He became my staff evangelist. And he would go out and preach, and he'd always come back to us. We paid his, we helped him and whatnot. And we became bestest of buddies. We were, we were twin sons of different mothers. And I had the best time. He had the most unusual gift of evangelism. When he spoke, God spoke. I had a meeting one night. Uh, it was in our church. We were having a meeting and the place was packed. I mean, it wasn't big, 400 people maybe. The place was packed. Couldn't get in there. And, and I think I'd done something. And he'd done some music. He was a great musician. And then he, he preached. He, he was a terrible preacher. That's what he told me. He was. He wasn't the greatest preacher. But he could throw a net and pull it in like nobody could. Had the gift of God. He got done, gave an invitation. And I remember about 20 people came down and just stood right here. And it was pretty emotional. The Spirit of God was so sweet. And I'm, I'm right here, right there. And a little boy standing there, 12-year-old boy with his dad. And they're standing there. And my buddy's name was Andy. And he was just talking to people down front there afterwards. And he came to the little boy and he said, son, son, why'd you come down here tonight? And put the microphone in his face. And the little boy just stared at him. And his daddy said, he's deaf. He can't hear. Tone deaf, born deaf, couldn't hear a word. And Andy said, well, what's he down here for? And his daddy said, well, he's come to give his life to Jesus. And Andy said, so you signed the service to him tonight? And his daddy said, no. He said, it was a crowd or I couldn't do anything. He said, well, how do you hear anything tonight? He said, his daddy, he didn't hear a word, sir. He can't hear nothing. And nobody signed it for him. He said, ask him why he's down here then. And I saw the dad turn and hand, uh, what do you call it, sign to the little boy. I saw the boy answer back and I didn't know one signal he made in there. And his daddy said, the little boy said he heard God speak in his heart. I made a note of that. I followed him. After that night, he became one of the finest young Christian boys and young men I'd ever known. He didn't hear a word with this ear, but God spoke to his heart. Dear ones, Jesus said, I came and saved you not to give you a bunch of rules, make your life miserable, so I could change your life by speaking to your heart so I could wash you with the water of the word. Dear ones, religion kill you. It'll wear you out. It'll leave you with your tongue hanging out and your britches dragging behind. But when Jesus speaks to your heart, it will feed you and bless you and change you. And you'll go to yourself privately. Dang, I didn't know I could be so nice. You didn't. That's somebody else. See why it used to be called the good news of Jesus? You got to quit listening to Led Zeppelin and cussing and smoking. That might be good advice, but that ain't good news. In no state there is, that's good news. Listen to the man talk to you and watch what happens. That's good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me uh, <clears throat> paint you a picture here. Help you understand. I've been married 40 years. I love my sweetheart. We got a great marriage. 40 years coming up. What kind of marriage do you think we'd have if in 40 years I had never spoken one word to her? What kind of marriage do you think we'd have? Oh, we'd be married. Ring, paper, and everything. And a photo. But if she can't hear me speak, we ain't got much of a marriage. This is not about marriage right here. I speak to you concerning Christ and the church. Dear ones, you want a great marriage? Tell me what all great marriages are built on. Say it. Say it. Listen, boy, she's fixing to help you. Communication. All great marriages. When marriages get in trouble and I try to unravel the mess counseling, you know what I always say to them? Quit talking about what his mama said last week. I don't want to hear it. Quit talking about the stupid he said. You know what I tell them? 
take me all the way back to when the trouble started. Go back. Guess what they always point to? Guess what they always point to? When we stopped talking to each other. That's when we got in trouble. Then was the day you quit talking. You get in trouble in your relationships. You got to hear Jesus speak to you. Uh, a dear friend, he's, he's a, he beat me. He went to glory. Mickey Evans. I love Mickey dearly. And he, he was just an old Florida cowboy country preacher that God put it on his heart to help men. God spoke to him. He built the greatest drug and alcohol recovery center in the nation. It's down in South Florida. Him and his dear wife, Laura May, built this wonderful place. I mean, thousands of men have gotten their lives back because of this place. Let me tell you what I heard Mickey say. Listen to what he said. He just, he just an old cowboy. He said, uh, and nothing fancy down here. He said, we bring men down here to the Florida swamps where they can't run. Put them in the swamp. We bring them down here. We keep them here for nine months hoping they can hear God speak for five minutes. And if they hear God speak, they're changed forever. And then we teach them how to keep hearing him speak after they leave so they can stay changed. It all rises and falls on hearing him speak. Are you with me? All right. I'm going to throw in a little more. We got to get out of here because you got to go listen to him. He went on to say this, verse 27, that, all right, verse 26 All he wants to do is change you, sanctify you, make you beautiful by speaking to you. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Tell me, listen to me, verse 27 is God's ultimate goal goal in all of creation. What's his ultimate goal? What's he looking for? That he might present her to himself in all her beauty. This is why the earth was created, dear ones. You know why the earth was created? You know why we were created? Jesus is looking for somebody to be a bride for eternity. That's it. That's what the whole deal's about. It, it's, it's all about uh, final word. All right, this book has all the secrets of the ages. There's a book in here called Revelation. You ever heard of the book of Revelation? Guess what Revelation's got in it? Shows you how everything's going to be wrapped up. I love the book of Revelation. It tells you how everything's going to be wrapped up. Let me give you a, just a sneak peek real quick. Let me tell you what's going to happen one day. Jesus is coming back to this earth. All right. Guess what he's coming back to do? And let me tell you what he said about this earth we're in right now that everybody loves. Everybody's so concerned about global warming. I could have used some global warming yesterday when I was out feeding them animals. We need some global warming, right? Anyway, let me tell you something about this earth. It's coming to an end. Jesus said, these things will happen. And after this, the end will come to this earth. But there's a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this earth's going to wrap up. Jesus is going to return. And there's going to be a brand new earth. If anybody knows the book of Revelation, tell me the first thing that happens when everybody gets to that new earth. What's the first thing that happens? Anybody know? What's it called? Last part of Revelation, what's it called? And then they have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Guess who is going to be the bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb? So I never thought of myself as the wife of Jesus. Then you've missed the entire point of creation. You've missed the entire point of what this thing's all about. Dear ones, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Did you not see it? That passage is not about marriage. It's about Jesus loving his church so much that he would die for her, bring her back to her glorious condition, marry her one day and spend eternity with her. Listen to me, listen to me. Heaven is not gates of pearl and streets of gold. Really? Heaven is Jesus. My wife, we got married 40 years ago. She didn't marry me to get that house. 
you're not going to heaven for the house, are you? If she married me to get that house, she got ripped off because we moved in a nasty old farmhouse. I mean, when the wind blow, the curtains moved and the windows were shut. That was that bad. No heat. Wood stove was it. Creaked. Pulled away. Dog could have got up in the space pulled away there. She didn't get much of a house, but she got a treasure of a husband. Can I get a witness? She didn't marry me for the house. She ain't here today. Dear ones, heaven is not streets of gold, gates of pearl. Heaven is the man. It's Jesus. It's everything your heart ever longed for. The deal is to get married to Jesus. All righty. I got to close by. We're fixing to really get, if this ain't been wild enough, I'm going to show you the greatest picture in the Bible. If I show you something in the Bible about you, will you believe it? I ain't showing you say yes. If God shows you something in the Bible, would you believe it? Everybody look at me right here. Look right here. If I were to ask God, what do you think about that person right there? What do you think he'd say? If I were to ask him, how do you see him, Jesus? What do you think he'd say? Well, I know what the answer is. You can find it in here. Read with me. Verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh. Talking about his wife but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Can I get a witness? My wife and I disagree, but I have never hated her. Can I get a witness? You don't hate your sweetheart. God have mercy. I want you to look in that verse. Tell me the two things Jesus does to his bride. Two things. What are they? Nourishes her and cherishes her. Tell me the two things Jesus does to you. Well, who is his bride? What did you think you were? His, like his chauffeur? His slave? Dear you're the bride of Christ. And tell me the two things he does. And obviously you do the last one first. You cherish her. You know how Jesus looks at you? He cherishes you. Are you with me? You know what cherish means, don't you? Flat out adores. How many of you old enough remember cherish is the word I use to describe? Somebody remember that? Got to be old to remember that. 1960. Yeah, you got to be old to remember that. Jesus adores. You say, you don't know me. Look right here. You don't know Jesus. Jesus adores you. Would you like to see a crazy picture of it? Listen to this. All right, I got married almost 40 years ago. August 15. 1981, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Mount Olive Baptist Church. Here's how we do it. The, you can't see your bride on her wedding day because you can't find her and you don't want to get caught up in that mess anyway. Something about that. So you pre, the preacher and the, and the groom and the best man, they're back here in the, in the broom closet <laughs> waiting on this thing to start. All dressed up, looking like a penguin playing hockey. You got all this outfit on. All right, the organ starts playing, Hom, and the preacher walks out and the groom walks out behind him. We walk out there, walk right here. Preacher steps up on a few steps. The groom got to stand right there. Very, wedding's a very formal thing. I had a director told me exactly what to do, like I'm going to do it. So you're standing here, and then all them people come down the aisle looking like a deer caught in the headlights, and they split out and all this mess. Everybody gets in the right place, everybody. And all of a sudden, that organ jacks it up a notch and goes, and everybody stands up. And Queen Charlene comes in the back door on the arm of her daddy. Are you with me? She steps in the back door and there she is in all her beauty and glory. And every eye turns to her because it's really about her. It's called her day. 
Zilla. It's her day. And uh, that, everybody gets to see her and then they start the march. You know, they, her daddy's supposed to walk her down the aisle. He's dragging her down the aisle, coming down there. When that started, I couldn't see her because the people stood up. My wedding. I jumped up there with the preacher so I could see. The director's spazzing out. That ain't in the program. I wasn't there to put on a play. I was there to find me somebody. Ernest T. Bass, I was there for a woman's what I was for. <laughs> I jumped up there and saw her. Now listen, I've been queued up and I'm going to tell you something. My heart melted. Of course, I think she's beautiful. Ah, she was the most, I'd never seen her more beautiful than that outfit. I loved that woman. I looked at her back and I said, God likes this boy right here. Woo! It is, oh, it's Valentine's Day today, boys. I was thrilled and I thought, my girl, she's all mine. I just saw her and I just, it hit me like a Mack truck. Beautiful. You understand that? Boys, come on. I'm trying to help you best I can today. You're supposed to be going over, me too, baby. Me too, baby. You understand that, don't you? Well, the craziest passage in the Bible, Psalm 45, describes the marriage of Jesus to you. The queen will come in her brightly colored robes with her virgins following her. Listen, O oh my daughter, forget your people and your people's house. So the king shall greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Run after him. That describes the marriage supper of the lamb. Now you listen to me. I'm going to show you the heart of Jesus. You can understand why somebody like me would look at somebody like my wife in a wedding dress and think that is pretty with a capital P-R-E-T-T-Y. You can understand that, can't you? But you listen to this, listen to this. That is some more great heart that wants to see this right here. Come down an aisle in a wedding dress, can I get a witness? What do you think it means? That he might present her to himself. Nobody hates his wife. Jesus never hated the church. He adores the church. What do you think it means? He cherishes her. Therefore, he nourishes her. I love my wife. I love my wife. Guess what I do for her because I love her? I talk to her. I sure and get the laundry. <laughs> Give me some tea. Yeah. I encourage her with my words and I build that woman up with my words so we can have a great relationship. There's no higher picture of Jesus than his people. Did you know that what we call marriage today actually flowed out as a picture of my relationship with Jesus? Marriage is a copy of who he is. 100%. So that's what it's all there for. 100%. I got to quit. Can I? All right, let, me, let me tell you something. If what I've said today is true, and it is because you saw it, let me tell you several important things you need to do to be a Christian. No, no. One. Tell me the only thing you need to do. What is the one important thing you do? Turn with me to Luke 10. Let's quit. Let me show you one last word here. Luke chapter 10. This passage is called Why Religion Don't Work. Luke 10. We're going to look at it. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As they went, Jesus entered a village. A certain woman named Martha brought, welcomed him to her house. 
So she invites Jesus in, come eat dinner. He ate dinner at that house a lot. There are three siblings, two ladies and a man. He loved to be there. He comes to the house for dinner. Verse 39, he got in the house. Jesus had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and did what? Listened to his word. Got it? Jesus comes in the house. They go have dinner. Martha heads for the kitchen. Jesus sits down the lazy boy because he's a big guy. Sister named Mary comes in there and sets herself right down in front of Jesus and just sits there and listens to him talk and just listening to what he's got to say. Martha's in there banging the kitchen aid and Mary's sitting there listening to him. Lazy thing. Y'all read it, hadn't you? Verse 40, Martha was distracted. means she was goofed up from much serving. I'm having to know you can get goofed up even serving God. And she approached him and said, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. We won't go into detail as to why she was so goofed up. And Jesus answered and said, Mary, get off your lazy butt and get in there and do something for me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was, reading the, I was reading it out of the religious version. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, you are worried and troubled. What's the condition of our land today? Why are people so worried and troubled today? They're not bad people. A lot of them are even serving God. Tell me what Martha, it's not what she is doing wrong. What is she not doing? What's Mary doing? Dear ones, let me tell you something. If God tells you one thing's important, one thing's important. Read the last verse there, 42. One thing is important or needed. Tell me the one thing. What is the one thing you need to do in your life? <clears throat> Mary chose the good part and will be taken away from her. Do you know what he said in that passage right there? There's not but one thing important in your life. Sit down and let me talk to you. Listen to me talk to you. It's the most important thing you can do and it'll never be taken away from you. So tell me something, dear ones. Tell me what my husband, Jesus, wants from me. He wants me to listen to him. He wants me to let him speak to my heart so that my life can be made back to what it was intended to be to start with and be that good. Can I throw in something before I slip off before we leave? If. If I knew this book and I knew the truth and I were the devil, guess what the one thing I'd do in your life is? Try to do. Keep you from hearing God speak to you. I'd do everything in the world. I'd even get you so busy around the church you didn't have time to listen to him. I'd get you so busy that you didn't have time to listen to God speak. Knowing if they ever hear God speak, their life's going to be wonderful. Why don't we just outsmart old horny head and say, not today, dude, and make it a point. I'm going to listen to him. Next week, we'll start talking about how to learn to listen to him speak. Let me tell you something. Don't send me no emails. You can hear him speak through this Bible, but I know a lot of people that read it day and night and they're mean as the devil. They're not hearing God speak. They're just hearing pages. He's got to speak through this book. You can hear him speak through music. He stir you up through music. That's God speaking to you. So you said you didn't hear him. Yes, you did. When they did that boogie-woogie thing up here to start with out there, and some of you, I shouldn't get excited in church. That was God trying to get some life into you, Doc. <laughs> Why do you think the biggest book in this Bible is the song book, the music book? He'll speak through meditation. He'll speak through other people, but you've got to be real careful. And you can hear him speak directly to you. We'll learn how to do that directly. Hearing God speak is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you so much.
How could we believe that a God who spoke through all those years spoke so wonderfully, changed people's lives, encouraged them, built them up, gave them a second chance, everything. How could we think you'd speak so much and all of a sudden you wrote a book one day and didn't say anymore? I praise you and thank you that you're still speaking today. This word very clear. I pray for every person in this room more than they do anything on this planet. They say, I got to hear God speak to me. I want to hear Jesus talk to me. I thank you that we were created to hear the voice of God and we live by hearing the words that come from the mouth of God. Thank you that you speak through creation to me. You speak through the eagle. You speak through the sunrise. You speak through music. You speak through your word. I want to praise you and bless you that the voice of God is life-changing to the human heart. It heals, it comforts, it encourages, it brings hope, it gives insight. Teach us to hear the voice of God. Make, make the longing of our hearts to say, I believe that, I want to hear what he's got to say to me. I give you the praise and glory and honor. I trust you for that. Dear Jesus, you've been talking to anybody in this room today while we've been sitting in here. Friend, if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, you want God to be your Father, you want to be in the family of God, let Him work in your life where you're seated right there. If God's calling you to follow Him, won't you talk back to Him for a minute? Pray a simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, say this. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross because you love me. I believe you've spoken to my heart. I've decided to follow you, Jesus. Today I crossed the line 100%. Forgive me of all my sins. I know you will. You said you would. Receive me into your forever family. Be the Lord and Savior and love of my life and the best friend I ever had. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to hear your voice. Make me what you made me to be, dear Jesus. I trust you. Precious name of Jesus, I pray this prayer and believe it to be done. In his name I pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you that you're still calling people to yourself. You're still making lives beautiful and you're going to continue to do it till we see you face to face. How wonderful you are. Till you come back on that white horse. Rescue me. Take me to your home and we're going to live happily ever after. Looking forward to it. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.